Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight there are fewer people in the history of human civilization that are more interesting than leonardo da vinci leonardo da vinci is the very definition of a renaissance man of course he was a great artist whose work as an artist is venerated to this day but he was also a scientist he was also an engineer He was also a mathematician. He was also, I'll bet you didn't know this, he was also a musician. And to think that one person could have such a mastery of so many different aspects of life in the 15th century, that's when you couldn't go online and look up, how do I become a poet? You actually had to figure this out on your own. And to do it without formal schooling makes it even more remarkable. And there was some fascinating news about his lineage that came out last week. Here to tell us about that and a whole bunch uh, more is Martin Kemp, British art historian and exhibition curator, who is one of the world's leading authorities on the life and works of da Vinci. He's also an author and emeritus professor at Oxford University. Uh, Mr. Kemp, I know it's still pretty early out there across the pond. I appreciate you joining me on the radio. Uh, great pleasure. That was a nice introduction to Leonardo. I may steal it. <laughs> it's, it's all yours. Um, tell folks uh, what exactly sparked your interest initially in da Vinci as a person and his work. Yeah, it was... Uh an accident really like a lot of things in our lives that we rationalize as, as clear choices i did natural sciences at cambridge and then moved into art history did art history postgraduate and it so happened that a young tv producer was making a program on leonardo um, uh, it was a bbc um apprenticeship program as it were and the program wasn't going to be uh, screened and the big figures obviously said oh i'm not going to do a program that's it isn't going to be isn't going to be screened, so it came down to me, and I started looking at Leonardo for the television producer, and with some background in science, I thought I know what's going on here. So I've made a career out of telling the arts people I know about science and the science people I know about <laughs> art. It's, it's worked out okay. 
Um, so I gave a little bit of an introduction into the areas of Da Vinci's mastery, but I think a lot of people listening, everybody's heard his name, but maybe they don't fully comprehend um, exactly what it was that made him so special. As someone that has studied this subject more closely than anyone, tell people that may not be Da Vinci experts what was it that made him so great? Why was he so unique, even among other Renaissance men of that era? He's often called a polymath. That's to say somebody who can do lots of different things. Um, I say that he was actually a monomath, that he saw how everything related to a central core, that he, he could look at areas we regard as very diff- different and see that they had similar causes, similar ways of functioning. So he saw an essential overarching unity of nature and of man's place in nature, which, of course, in these days of our terrible maltreatment of the earth is uh, is a very potent message. So he was somebody who saw relationships between things. Just an idea, when he looked at the movement of water uh, rushing round a stake in a bubbling stream, he thought that looks like hair. And he said, oh, well, the weight of the hair is like the movement of the current. The the twisting of the current is what happens with water in water, and it's what happens with hair. Therefore, he sees these as part of the same phenomenon. We see them as completely different. One belongs to a hairdresser, and another one belongs to a physicist. How did he compare to other Renaissance artists, people like who have also been celebrated, like uh, Michelangelo or uh, Raphael? Uh, how did they compare in terms of their life accomplishments and their artistic accomplishments to da Vinci? Yeah, the artistic uh, qualities of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo, I wouldn't wish to put them in order. They are just supreme in how they treated the human figure. Leonardo is the one who investigates nature to recreate nature in his canvases. Um, Raphael is a supremely gifted narrative painter, great painter of portraits and Madonna and children. Michelangelo, the greatest artist of the human body, he's not much interested in nature. You know, grass and plants and so on are, are not part of his bag. He, he goes for the expressive quality of the ideal human body. What Leonardo does is everything. Uh, just, just this extraordinary ability across engineering, civil military engineering, and the areas you cited. A major, major anatomist. I've just done a, a new volume on Leonardo's many anatomical drawings, and they are just extraordinary. So it's this universality which nobody else can touch. So the works of da Vinci have been around for over half a millennium. And a lot of folks might be wondering, why are we talking about this now? Well, there was an interesting uh, development in which Carlo Vesci, a professor at the University of Naples who studies the Mona Lisa, uh, who studies da Vinci's artists, uh, his artistic works, his life, a whole bunch of other things. He launched this new book in Florence and he made a couple of really blockbuster claims. One of them was that da Vinci was only half Italian, but the much more interesting one was that his mother, da Vinci's mother, was a slave, uh, which we had never heard before. Do you put any stock in this, uh, Mr. Kemp, and uh, what are they basing this on, as best you can tell? 
Yeah, before I contest some of, this, some of the things that Carlo Vecchio has been saying, I would say he's a very, very fine scholar. This is written up in a slightly eccentric book, which is a kind of mixture of fact and fiction, which is an odd thing to do. But since I wrote a book called Living with Leonardo in the first person, I'm probably not the one to complain about that. But uh, the, the slave trade was very active in Florence. Uh, Francesco del Giacondo, that is to say, Mona Lisa's um, husband, he, was in, he would sell anything that uh, he could get money from, and he dealt with slaves. And slaves were characteristically baptized, even if they didn't understand it, and they were endowed with uh, Christian names, particularly Caterina. It's a fairly common name. And Carlo Vecchi has found one which uh, Leonardo's father actually signed the, the release forms, as it were, um, st- meant that she had been... Uh, um, she no longer was, was counted as a slave, which is suggestive. There have been other claims earlier that uh, his mother was a slave. I rather favour a rural one. Leonardo lived in Vinci, which is a very pretty little provincial town near Florence. That was where his family was. His father was a lawyer, but in the summer would have been back in Vinci. There's not much lawyer's work in Florence in, in August. And there was a young woman called Caterina Di Meo Lippi, who's a, a peasant woman, destitute, her no good husband, brother had disappeared, and she was left on her own. I think Leonardo took advantage of her. And um, he, he was, she, Leonardo was born in Vinci. The grandfather records the, the, the birth, an illegitimate child, but records it with some pride. And I favour what you might call a rural solution, i.e. a country girl rather than a slave. But neither of us can prove this. Carlo would admit that his suggestion is attractive and but is hypothetical. And my suggestion as well is attractive but hypothetical. So neither of us have got absolute proof here. So it's at least possible that his mother could have been a slave. Yeah, it's possible we... Yeah, we we don't have the kind of records which absolutely tie this down. Um, we have the grandfather's record of the birth and the fact that Katerina was married off to a local man rather quickly um, because it was an embarrassment to this mm-hmm. rather this sort of upper middle class family in Vinci, and uh, they provided a dowry, they provided a, a financial sweetener, so this. Um, a uh, man who had a small holding, I suppose you would call it a small farm, could take on Katerina as his wife, and she duly bore him more children. So I, I rather favour that than the slave, but um, uh, neither of us can lay down the law sure. and say we're sure. definitely right. Um, the if people just tuning in, we're talking with Martin Kemp. He is a professor emeritus at Oxford University, also a British art historian. One of the other claims there, and I'm wondering if you're going to um, uh, basically say the same thing about this claim, was that um, da Vinci's mother, Katerina, might have actually been Jewish, which would, of course, make him Jewish. Uh, do you put any addition, more or less stock in that than you do the slavery hypothesis? I would put only a minuscule amount of stock in that. It, it, it has no, no f- firm foundations at all. 
All right. Asked and answered. What do we know about Da Vinci's early life? I mean, you look at Da Vinci, it's really so incredible to think that without any formal schooling or training, he could have achieved an expertise in so many different areas. What did he do as a child, as a teenager? The record of his early life is very thin. He lived with his grandfather, and we know that because when he's about four years old, He's listed in the grandfather's tax return as a bocca. That's Italian for a mouth. So you, anyone you had to list in your tax return was called a mouth, which is rather nice, I think. <laughs> and he was brought up in the grandfather's house. and He was clearly close to the brother of his father, who was Francesco, who lived in Vinci. And Francesco left his properties to Leonardo. So there's obviously a relationship there. So he was brought up in the grandfather's house, but with an uncle who was the same, essentially the same age bracket as uh, as his actual father. Um, he would have had a basic schooling. He would have been schooled in letters and numbers and so on. He didn't have a probably a, a, an elaborate Latin schooling. His father was a notary, and you needed to have good Latin for that. But as an illegitimate child, he couldn't become a notary. So I think he had a good, basically a good, solid sort of practical education, but uh, uh, limited in terms of its grip of Latin. We've seen one self-portrait of him. Uh, We've also seen a lot of depictions of him over the years. He generally seems to have a a long beard that we've seen and um, statues that he's been depicted on or um, even film adaptations that he's been depicted on. Do we think that that is a pretty accurate depiction of what he's likely to have looked like? Uh, I imagine the drawing you're referring to with a long beard is the one in Turin. This almost certainly isn't a self-portrait of Leonardo. It emerged in the late 18th century. There's, oh. a very beautiful, there's a very beautiful profile drawing by one of Leonardo's pupils in Windsor. He's recorded as being uh, very fastidious in dress, um, very elegant, very gentlemanly, um, with a long beard, which was very carefully ma- maintained and so on. And he, he claimed that artists were gentlemen, Artists at this time were still regarded as artisans, as practical workers, as hand workers. And Leonardo stressed that the artist, the painter, not the sculptor, which is a more manual thing for him, but uh, the the painter was was a gentleman, somebody of intellectual worth and of social worth. So his um, he, he presented this very cultivated gentle, gentlemanly air. Um, that was his public image. The um you know we see so many different discuss uh, discussions about how forward thinking he was uh, things like flying machines and and other things that were hundreds of years ahead of their time exactly how ahead of his time was da vinci what else other than the flying machines did he predict or make some early early strides towards achieving that then came to fruition much later in life well much later in not life but later in civilization i rather tend to resist the formula that he's ahead of his time my formula is that he did more with the resources of his of his time than anybody else ever did but that maybe is is rather hair splitting. But yeah, he's amazingly inventive and 
inventing clockwork mechanisms, invented giant weapons, inventing all manner of uh, machinery. He was a great investigator of the human body. He was a great investigator of nature, of geology. In the, the Codex, which is owned by Bill Gates, the Codex Lester, he looked at the history of the body of the Earth, as I call it, and decided it was very ancient and that the Earth had undergone vast changes with huge uplifts of land and huge sinking of land and flooding and so on. So he had this vision of the Earth as a as a ancient, ancient changing body, which um, is quite different from the normal theological view, which said, you know, the Earth is as God created it, and that's what we get. So in almost every area he touched, he could rethink something, and that's the most difficult thing to do, after all, for all of us, you, me, anybody, is to reject received wisdom and to look at things freshly. And he could absolutely do that. You mentioned, and I know this may sound silly, but I'm going to ask you about this anyway. You mentioned the fact that Bill Gates uh, purchased this uh, this Da Vinci notebook, essentially. Uh, Bill Gates is clearly a, a Da Vinci fan, one theory that has been bandied about uh, on the Internet and elsewhere uh, is that uh, Da Vinci was actually somehow, and I think there have been several Star Trek episodes that essentially said this, that Da Vinci was somehow some sort of a a time traveler or some immortal and that uh, Bill Gates may actually be Da Vinci. Do you put any stock in that? <laughs> That's absolutely amazingly tough. <laughs> it is daft, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I know Bill Gates. I've worked for him. We've done a new edition of his manuscript, and uh, he's an enormously dedicated to supporting research on Leonardo and, uh, and has a, a, a very, as, as in most of the things he does, he's got a very direct, straightforward and uh, intelligent grip upon what's going on. Yeah, Le- Leonardo, the silly season never ends. It's, um, I'm always surprised by what people come up with but um uh, it's uh I'm, I'm 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 never surprised that i am surprised i'm just surprised what the surprises are if that makes sense it, it does indeed so um if you were to give us uh one thing i do want to ask you is the the whole idea of da vinci sleep became popularized maybe about uh, 20 years ago uh, in part because of that television show Seinfeld, and they alleged, and I've heard this written about elsewhere, that Da Vinci only slept 20 minutes every four hours, and he did that to maximize his waking hours and to maximize his levels of productivity. As far as you can tell, is there any truth to that, that he did adhere to this unusual sleeping cycle? Yeah, I, I'm becoming rather a party pooper here, but the historian has to <laughs> As to go with the evidence as it is, and uh, we go documentation, documentation. We've got thousands and thousands of sheets of writing and drawings by Leonardo, and none of this nonsense appears, I'm happy to say. Um, I understand there was a lot of attention paid to a couple of his grocery lists, which have survived uh, 500 years later. What uh, What kind of groceries did da Vinci buy? What was his diet like? It's just sort of standard Italian stuff, I suspect, and not very different. If you went to Vinci today, I think you'd have much the same things, very, very good quality locally grown vegetables and fruit, um, carefully farmed animals and so on. It was a rural area he was in. Vinci was a little hill town, um, 
surrounded by by farms. Uh, Leonardo was given some land by the by the Duke of Milan. He was also given a, a, a water concession, as to say he could uh, sell on water to farmers from a measured outlet. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a rural existence, and no, he had a standard diet and lived rather well. Uh, Martin Kemp, thank you very much. Uh, whenever we need to separate fact from fiction on Da Vinci, party you pooper or not, we're going to call upon you. Thank you so much. Okay, I'll be ready and waiting. Thank, thank you. you. 800-848-9222. I mentioned some of the Da Vinci depictions on Star Trek. Obviously, I think a lot of us remember the original series depiction uh, where it was uh, Da Vinci was still alive and he'd been all these great different uh, characters throughout history. I think his name was Flint on the original series. But in Voyager, Da Vinci's there as a hologram, and he's played brilliantly by John Rhys-Davies. And in holographic form, he was a mentor to the captain of Voyager, uh, Captain Janeway. Leonardo, where are you going? France. Florentines do not deserve my genius. I have written to the king of France, telling him of my adventures in the New World, and invited him to soar with me off the towers of his castle. Are you sure that's a good idea? Why not? We ourselves have tested the design. But the materials? You'll never find those metals in France. No. Then others will suffice. Machines that fly through the air, lightning flung from one's hands, mechanical women who live in boxes. These things I have seen. Other side of midnight. midnight.